Where have we been so far? In Luke chapter 4, and this is in Matthew and Mark as well, versions of this, Jesus replies, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too, because that is why I was sent. The people are trying to keep him in one place, say, come and do more miraculous works, do more with us. And he says, I got to go because my purpose is to share the news of the kingdom. So is kingdom important for Jesus? It's incredibly important, right? This is his very purpose why he's here. So we need to know what that means and what that's about. So we've been working on that the last two weeks. The first week, God's plan to reign. The second week, how things collapse. Today, we're going to be talking about the gospel of Jesus. So this is a good, exciting one. And then the last week will be life in the kingdom. That is next week. So let's do a quick review. First week, what did we find out? God's plan to reign was you. You were God's plan to reign in this world. That instead of idols, God made his images the people. And that gives us some authority to rule. But the thing is, we're supposed to rule on God's terms. And so the things that God wants is how we're supposed to do things. And in our lives, did we quickly want to do it different from how God wanted to do it? In my life, did I quickly want to do things a different way? You bet. As soon as I had the chance, what did I do? Something I shouldn't have done. So things collapsed, right? We all saw the fruit of the tree, and it looked good and pleasing on our eyes, and God said no, and we said, mm-hmm, and mm, oh, wait a second. Wait a second. That didn't end up being as good as I thought it could because God's wisdom actually had the way. So we all keep repeating a pattern of human corruption leading to a Babylon that we can't escape on our own. The end of Genesis 1 through 11, which is about the foundations of things, ends up with people building the Tower of Babel, trying to do it themselves. The story of Israel starts off with Abraham, and all of a sudden at the end they go to Babylon, and they're in exile again. And we find that in our story too, whenever we think we're doing the right thing, we, we do the best we can when we're doing it separate from God eventually, eventually it becomes Babylon. And it does not take us long walking down the street to start seeing Babylon, does it? Now, even, even in here sometimes, Babylon starts creeping in. And so we have to make sure that we have our eyes focused on God so that we are following what he wants and his rule. So that leads us back to Jesus. Mark chapter 1, verse 1 is, this is the good news, which is the word gospel, about Jesus the Messiah, which is the Hebrew word for king, the son of God. Christ is the Greek word. Messiah is the Hebrew word for king. Mark starts off out of the gate proclaiming that Jesus is king. And not just king, that he is a special kind of king because he is God's very son. All right? Should we be paying attention to Jesus? That's what Mark wants us to do, right? As he started off, say, hey, focus. This is big and important stuff. And it's good news. Now, that's some political stuff, and we're going to hear about that in the video we're going to watch today. But this is good, important news. And so we want to be excited because today, last week, we were looking at how things fell apart, right? This week, we're going to look at how God puts them back together, and that's good. So what kind of king? We're going to ask these couple questions before we watch this video. What kind of king do we tend to look for? when we're looking for someone who's going to be in charge or who has got power. Israel was looking for a warrior to defeat Rome. 
right? They had had their own kingdom, and God didn't really want them to have that in the first place. But they had had their kingdom, and then they had been conquered, and then they had been oppressed. And, and even the beginning of their story, right, in Egypt, and they were oppressed there, and, and they find themselves oppressed again, and so they keep trying all these things, and what they really think that they want is someone who can come in, sword-waving, go and dethrone the Roman Empire, and can give them the kind of earthly power that we look for to say what a strong kingdom is, right? When we look at a strong kingdom, what does a strong kingdom have? It's got a big army. It's got a lot of money, right? All these different things, and you can just keep on thinking, what do we think of that makes a superpower in the world? So what kind of king were they looking for? And what kind of king or what kind of leader are we looking for, right? When we look for people who are going to be in charge, we're looking for someone who's larger than life, that's got a lot of charisma, right? That's going to be able to draw people in. And, and someone who has a lot of power that can make a lot of things happen. And who does Jesus send? Or who does God send? Whoops. He sends Jesus. And where is Jesus born? Yeah, in a stall. With the animals. In a feeding trough. To a, to a mother who got pregnant before she was married. Boy, that doesn't fit, right? Because if God could have sent Jesus anywhere, couldn't he have sent him to the most powerful family? Couldn't he have sent him somewhere where he was going to be born into authority? He could have, but he didn't. And we're going to find out why that's good news. I think the next slide's the, the video. So, we're going to watch this video. It's a good one. And then... We'll continue talking. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. Yeah, so when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, 
they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Jesus is pretty great. Of course he is. But what makes Jesus an upside-down leader? Did y'all hear that phrase in there a couple times, the upside-down kingdom? I know it may have been a little quiet. So we talked about this already, right? That, that the way we think about power, it's concentrated at the top. And it, and it comes down. But what does Jesus say? Uh-huh. It starts at the bottom. And the person who is the greatest in the kingdom, is going to be willing to get down and dirty. And we've talked about this some. We've talked about Jesus as this servant. And, and the, the night he's betrayed starts off with what? He gets a towel and a, and a basin. 
and he gets dirty and does what the slaves do. He washes the feet. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is someone who's not looking at others saying, I'm better. Even though he is, right? He's the only one who doesn't take the fruit of the tree. He's the only one who, who does what God wants the whole time. He has every right to say he's better. And how does he lead? How does he lead? We're going to look at four things and talk about how Jesus is a different kind of leader. Imagine Jesus running for president and think about how well his platform is going to do in our country, right? In any country. How well is Jesus going to do running to be the leader? First off, who did Jesus gather? Luke chapter 7 says, John's two disciples, John's in prison at this point, found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we keep looking for someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits, and he restored sight to many who were blind. Then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you have seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. And he added, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. If he's healing these kinds of people, the blind people, the lame people, the leprosy people, the deaf, the dead, and the poor, then he says, God blesses those who don't fall away because of me. Because when you're going to garner your support, where do you go? You go to the rich people, right? You go to the people who've got it together. You go to the fancy parties where the news is going to cover it, where you can be seen. You might have a couple photo ops, but when your whole crowd is the one photo op and all the people you're supposed to be with are just angry at you on the sides... Jesus gathered the poor, the sick, the sinners, the outcasts, the extremists. He's got a couple guys who want to murder each other and his disciples, the vulnerable, the messy people. That's right, Billy, the messy people. Jesus goes straight for the people whose lives are a mess. That's not in how to win friends and influence people, right? But that's Jesus' strategy. Huh? We're going to find out, aren't we? Where did he visit? And this is going to have some overlap. Later, Matthew invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests. Remember, Matthew is a tax collector who is somebody that all the Jewish people hate along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. All right? But when the Pharisees, the religious powerhouse, saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with such scum? Where's he going? The sketchy places, right? He's going to the outskirts. We keep seeing him. He's up in the, he's away from the capital He's up around a lake where there's just a bunch of fishermen and poor people. 
He's even sometimes going out of, out of town, out of the country. He's going into other countries every once in a while. He's hanging out with people like Matthew who are traitors. That everyone looks at them and says, these people are not one of us anymore. Is that where we want to go to gain power? That's where Jesus goes. What did Jesus value? Matthew chapter 5, beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. What is Jesus' value? The pull them up on my own bootstraps, do it myself, self-sufficiency? It's not. It's the ones who knew they needed help. They knew they couldn't do it. They knew they had to have God. The ones who didn't think they were too great. The ones who were scraping by every day. But who can put their trust in God. What does he say later? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Because as soon as I've got a lot of money, I don't feel like I need anybody else. It's true. That's a true statement. Those who need God and know they need him. We all know need him. It's easy to forget we do. Jesus values those who love others. Those who have servant hearts. I'm going to give you a bonus verse on this one from Matthew 21. Verse 25, but Jesus called the disciples together and said, You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people, and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. You ever got a boss who knows he's got some power over you? Hmm. But among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Now, at this point, sometimes I'm like, I don't know if I want to be a leader anymore, because that sounds like a lot. But Jesus sets the example, right? Jesus sets the example. For even, he says, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's who I am, guys, says Jesus. That's who I am. And how did he become king? We saw it in the video. Let's read it again. Matthew 27. He's already gone through the trial, the betrayal, 
Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown and put it on his head. And they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. Remember what's on his head, crown of thorns. When they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. Then they led him away to be crucified. How does Jesus become king? Brutal violence. But not like other people become king, right? Because we've heard all kinds of stories about people becoming kings by assassinating someone else, by fighting a war, by doing violence. Jesus lets the violence eat him. And he could have called the angels, right? That's what he says. He could have called the legion of angels to come and save him. But instead, he lets the lies of the people send him to the cross. And he takes the great lies that have come from his whole life, from all of time, and lets them destroy him. Why? Because of love. Because of love. Jesus is a different kind of king, right? We don't, we don't have a category in this world for leaders who lead this way. They get kicked out immediately. They don't make it anywhere. They don't get any power. They don't get any influence. But what does Jesus say to his disciples? Among you, it'll be different. What are we being called to today? Jesus' life and death sets our example for how we live as subjects of the king. Remember in the first week, we talked about how the king has ultimate authority, and they get to decide how the people in their kingdom act. Jesus calls us to giving up our lives. Jesus calls us to serving. Jesus calls us to loving through pain. Jesus calls us to care, right? Jesus calls us to visit people nobody else wants to visit. Jesus calls us to go to the homes of people that nobody with any good sense is going to go into. Jesus calls us to doing all these things that are upside down from the way the world looks. Because that's who Jesus is. Right? Because we've all got different stories in this room, right? I know some of us have stories about Jesus finding us when we were at rock bottom. Because that's where Jesus likes to hang out. What do we know at rock bottom? That we can't do it. That we can't do it. Praise God, praise God that he's there and that he loves and that he wants you. He wants you. Now, Jesus' life and death set the tone for how we're supposed to live. 
But Jesus' resurrection also reveals what God and his kingdom are leading to. And we're going to talk more about that next week. But, but there is a, a glorious future that's yet to be still. We're finally going to get to pick up where God started things, right? In the garden. Almost the first choice set us on this path that wrecked us. And there's going to be a day. Jesus was the first who goes through this resurrection. And, and he's still Jesus. And they still recognize him sometimes. But he's different too. And he's entering into the new creation. And that's coming. So today we live as Jesus' life and death. And one day we get to live as Jesus' resurrection, right? That's the already the kingdom is here. But the kingdom's not all the way here yet, is it? It's still coming. Are you going to join the kingdom? Are you ready to follow this kind of king? Because how many leaders have we followed that have ended in a dead end, have ended in failing, have ended in losing trust, have ended in abuse, have ended in whatever it is? How many? Pretty much all of them, right? Something always goes off the rails. There's one we can trust. Don't you want to trust him? I didn't put the slide up here, but as we close, we're going to pray the Lord's Prayer. So you're just going to have to follow along. Say it however you want to say it. You can use the King Jimmy if you want to, all right? We're going to pray the Lord's Prayer together. Because this is also something that's so important for us to be doing. Because this prayer asks for God's kingdom to show up. And we probably should have been praying it the last two weeks. But we'll pray it today. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you are ready to submit to Jesus, if you need anything else today, you can come forward as we stand and as we sing.